Jesus. If you are joining us for the first time, I want to say welcome. God bless you. If you have been joining us online and you are not normally within the local assembly uh, because you are very far away, God bless you. Thank you for joining. Thank you for being a part of this work uh, because we value your presence. We value what God is doing in you. God sent us to raise with him and for him a people. So wherever we see people participate in what we do, we are truly thankful because it is part of our mandate. Uh, we want to thank God for those things. We come to the end of our series this time on enjoying restful increase through our vision mandate. And uh, we have looked at the four aspects of our vision mandates right from the beginning of this month of um, April. And uh, we want to thank God that he's helped us to look in detail. And uh, because this is the DNA of our church, this is the DNA of our mission, it is something that we will never exhaust till, till Jesus comes. We will keep looking into this vision mandate in diverse ways as God inspires from time to time. So I want to encourage you to please go over those messages again for this period. It will help you to see how you can enjoy what God has promised in terms of restful increase for us uh, in this year as a people. And uh, I want to just say that by the grace of God, we will be sharing many, many more testimonies in time to come in the mighty name of Jesus. So we want to thank God for that. So we are looking at the fourth vision mandate today. And so the title of today's topic is Enjoying True Prosperity for Restful Increase. Every one of those words have been carefully chosen. Enjoying True Prosperity for Restful Increase. The word of prosperity has become something that is almost uh, something like an enemy of the church today, I must say. <laughs> and it's sad. It has become an enemy of the church because outside the church, it is seen in a negative way as something that the church promotes in a, in a, for, for, the, for, the, for the aggrandizement of a certain people or for perpetuation of fraud. And we've got to say it as it is. And even within the church, a lot of people do not understand. They think it's about a selfish consumption of of things and materialism. So we have people competing against each other within a church. Just in the name of demonstrating prosperity, we have people competing against each other with what they wear, with what they, where they live, what they drive, and the, 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 the places they go for holiday, and all sorts of things. Believe me, these things have happened, sadly, in our time over the last few years. Uh, when I say few, for my age, few can mean 30, it can mean 40. Uh, but they've happened, and uh, you, we, we need to understand that these are the devices of the enemy to make this very important aspect of Christianity a, a confusion because it holds key to how much we are able to do the work God has committed into our hands. So while we say true prosperity is we want to lay emphasis on what God said. We want to lay emphasis on what God said and why we should understand it as Christians that prosperity is the will of God. But we must understand what God means by prosperity. You see, the words in scripture are very clear. When God spoke to Joshua, he said, you shall have good success. Why did he just say you shall have success? He said, you shall have good success because as far as God is concerned, anything without God is not good. It can be success. But without God, it's not good. With God, he said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then you shall make your way prosperous, and you shall have good success. One of the verses we learned from 
from Sunday school, Joshua 1.8. But we must understand that good success means that it is God's intention that there is success, but that it is in the context of his good. James 1.17 tells us every good and perfect gift comes from him. So I'm just laying a foundation for this. I've not actually gone into my message. But I want you to understand that, please, whatever you know about prosperity and whatever bias you may have about prosperity and whatever thing you may have heard about prosperity, I just want you to please give me your ears for the next few minutes. This is a topic that I can, by the grace of God, teach for the next three hours if I have the time and yet will not exhaust what I believe the Lord has laid on my heart for many, many years about how it's such a sad reality that we are failing as a body of Christ, especially to understand what this is. And, but by the grace of God, as God has given to us as a vision mandate to raise with him and for him a people of prosperity, we will be walking in the realms of this divine knowledge and revelation by the special grace of God. So I want to start again from Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which has been our anchor scripture in the course of uh, the last uh, few weeks. And um, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, thank you very much. You can read it in your home. You don't have to put it on your mic, but just read it with me. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we talked about those, those, those phrases, meaning power, you there represents the ecclesia, the called out ones, the one that have been sanctified, the ones that God has justified, the church, the pure. That's why the word of purity came for us. He said that you shall receive power. And we talked about power being the enablement of the Holy Spirit for doing the work that the called out ones are meant to do. So that is where the word of power comes for us. So you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And last week, he said, we looked at the one that says, and you shall be witnesses to me. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in all Samaria, and to the utmost end of the earth. Last week, we looked at, and you shall be witnesses to me. So a witness is somebody who has evidenced something, who has seen something, heard something, and can testify to others about what they've seen and heard. So Jesus said, you shall basically tell others about my impact in your life. And so we must understand. And last week, we, we don't have time to go through it again, but we went through all the different scenarios to say, whatever God has called you to do means that God is giving you the power to be a witness in that thing. It is not until you start a pulpit ministry. It is not until you, you carry the badge of uh, the fivefold ministry as being a teacher, a pastor, a prophet, a, an evangelist, or, or, or any of those things. It's not until you, you function like that. You are functioning in your capacity as a teacher, as a nurse, as a lawyer, as a, 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 a sports person. Everything you do in life, you are functioning as an IT consultant. You are functioning as a witness in that place. And this is why we must understand why God puts us in the business world, why God puts us in different sectors of life so that we can be light to those places. So that is how we are witnesses. And again, you can listen to that message. It's on our LiveGate Outreach TV page. And it's also on our podcast pages in LiveGate Outreach Center. And God bless you as you do so. But he said, you shall be those witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in all Samaria, and the end of the earth. I'm sure we can show our banner today, which now means that we have complemented, we've come full circle, into those four things. We, the purity, thank you. We, the pure, receive power and are witnesses. That is the message of purpose, the reason why we exist. 
It is frustrating for anybody who is a Christian and do not know why they exist, not just as a Christian, but how they are to express their Christianity, how they are to express their spirituality, how they are to be a witness in our world. So it is important that we see the, the, the significance of the word of purpose. But none of those things can become what God wants it to be in Jerusalem, in Judea. Go back to Acts 1-8 for me, please. In, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth without prosperity. It takes the prosperity that God gives. And today, I just want you to please listen to me in terms of how we look at this prosperity. God's desire is that his word is spread to the end of the earth by a prospered people, by a people who have been empowered, a people who understand their purpose, but they are also prospered. They are tooled. They are tooled to do the work. They are enabled to do the work. This is the place of prosperity. When God gave Zechariah the revelation of the end time in Zechariah chapter 1, God was speaking to him about the restoration of the peace of Jerusalem and how the city was again going to become a place through which there shall be a prosperity that is going forth to establish other cities. Now, there, there, is, a, there is the end-time connotation of this prophecy, which will happen uh, during the millennial reign of Christ, as we all know. But it is also significant for us to understand that we, as a people who are in Jerusalem, are a people who are saved. The Bible talks about us in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the most high God, the company of the innumerable angels. And he said that it is the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's where we are gathered. So as a people who are called by God, we are in that heavenly Jerusalem even from now. We are a people who name the name of the Lord, who are called the Ecclesia. And it is through prosperity, Zechariah chapter 1, let's go to verse 16 and 17. It is through that prosperity that the word of God will continually be spread abroad. Now read it with me. It says, therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. Don't forget when we're talking Jerusalem, we're talking about the body of Christ right now. He said, my house shall be built in it. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 5, we all as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. We are being built up a temple unto the Lord. We are being built up together as a spiritual house. We are being fitted together. So you, me, every other believer are built up a spiritual house. He said, my house shall be built in Jerusalem, says the Lord of hosts. It shall be built in the gathering of the saints, in the heavenly, in the heavenly Jerusalem. It shall be built in Mount Zion. He says, it shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Verse 17. A surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem and again proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities, my cities shall again spread out through prosperity. The Lord will again comfort Zion and will again choose Jerusalem. This prophecy was given after the Babylonian captivity and uh, the children of Israel were to be emancipated and to be spread out. But what, Jesus, what God was saying is that the, the cities of this world, the cities of this earth belong to the Lord. 
The Bible says ultimately the kingdoms of this world, they have now become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever. But if you look at Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, the Bible says that unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be, I'm just paraphrasing, he said, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. So he rules over all and what he is desiring for you and I as witnesses, as people of purpose, people of purity, people of his power and people of purpose is to go all out by the enablement of his prosperity to, set, to spread out his word. He said, my cities shall again spread out through prosperity. So prosperity is therefore God's tool for the evangelization of the world period. Prosperity is none of those things that we have made it. Prosperity is not materialism. Prosperity is not the amassing of wealth or the display of flamboyance or the display of any kind of or a show of, 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 of the gathering of things that we have made it to, to see. So we need to understand the reason why God must prosper his people and why he prospers his people. It is to make sure that his cities are spread abroad. I was reminded of a picture. I took that picture. I don't know. I hope we can see it. Uh, and um, it's very funny. I saw that picture yesterday, a few days ago. It's not too clear. It's blurry. Believe it or not, that's me in the picture. And that's me about five years old, six, just going on to become six or so. The car in the background was my father's car. And uh, oh, we, we, this, this car looked like the best thing that ever happened to mankind. <laughs> this was 1975. And the car was just about a year old, brand new. My father bought it then. And um, I used to be, the car does not have a tape player, but it has a radio, short wave, medium wave. So my father had a, a, a cassette tape Recorder. Some of you can't relate to that, so I won't bother myself too much on that. But then, that's what we used to play music those days. And um, I used to carry it for him. And with this car, my father went to a lot of cities within the state of Kano, preaching on weekends, student fellowships. They were inviting him. And I will follow him, and I will carry the tape and record his messages. And when we are traveling, I will play them back. I will play them back. And at times, he will be... He would ask me that I should have reduced the volume or increased the volume or something. And, and I, I, I was just doing all that. I never knew what held up for me in the future. But I just wanted to, to be with my dad and to help him do that as much as was possible. But you know, the funniest thing about this car is that at this point in time, this was a very cool car. Many of his mates did not have cars. Many of his mates were on motorcycles and were on, you know, other ways of traveling, public transport. So he was one of those blessed middle-class people at that point in time. But I remember that this car helped us to do so much evangelism. With hindsight, I didn't know at that time, but with reflections now, it helped my father to reach out to so many people. And it was out of God's prosperity. It was out of God's blessing that he was able to do all that then. My father never planted a church, but he worked with so many churches. He was never a pastor called a pastor, but he pastored many people. And he, by the grace of God, is still alive, and I thank God for his life. But you know the funniest story about this car? It did not have seat belts. This car had only one side mirror, and it was, the, the picture did not take it much, so you can't see it. 
But that side mirror, I was the only one that could adjust it for him. He'll sit in the, in the driver's seat, and I have to adjust it and, and make sure that he can see the back. And then we'll start driving. And in Kano, there were a lot of people who used to cycle. And uh, at times when they're cycling, they, their hand will just hit the mirror, and the thing will just go all over the place, face the sky. And my dad would be so furious, and he'll park his car to the side. And uh, we'll have to go through that process all over again. And um, by the grace of God today, we, have, we still have cars. You know, 35 years later, we still have cars. 40 years later, we still have cars. Now that are much better. In fact, cars that respond to us. We enter them and press a button and they adjust the seats and the mirrors for us. We have cars that park themselves today. We have cars that help us to do much more. We have cars that, that run on cruise control. And, and, and very soon we will have driverless cars. I can hardly wait for those. Why? Is it because I just need a car or because we want cars? No, because these cars and the IT, the tools, everything that God gives to us as we prosper is for evangelization. If we have this mindset, it changes everything that we have ever thought about the word of prosperity. And so I want to encourage you. I just remembered that picture and I felt to show it to you. And I just want to encourage you to say, understand that biblical prosperity has nothing to do with amassing of wealth. When we read in Luke chapter 12, that man said, my soul, you have gathered so much, you have prospered. He said, I will build more barns. And God said, you are a foolish man. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Biblical prosperity, according to scripture, is having a sufficiency in all things at all times to be able to do every good work God has called you to do. Having a sufficiency. Notice I have not mentioned the amount of the money. Having a sufficiency in all things, at all times, so that you can abound unto every good work that God has called you to do. This means that you need to prosper spiritually. You need to prosper in your soul. You need to prosper physically as well. It takes this holistic prosperity to be able to be an effective witness, to live out purpose in life. Purpose is restricted when a person doesn't walk in the prosperity that God has given. This is why when Jesus looked at that woman that gave all her money and what we famously call the widow's might today, Jesus said this, man, this woman has given more than everybody else because she gave her all. That is a prospered woman. A prospered woman is not one, is not, is, a prospered person is not one who ha has so much but yet does not give. Is not somebody who has a little. It's not somebody who has a little and yet does not make it effective. It doesn't matter what you have. It is about being sacrificial effectively with whatever God has put in your hands for establishing his kingdom here on earth. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. The Bible says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. This is scripture. For you know the grace. This biblical prosperity is a function of grace. The Bible says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. For my sake... He became poor. For your sake, he became poor. That you and I, through his poverty, might become rich. This is one of the most abused verses of scripture 
where people have now termed to mean that that means that we should just be rich and live in flamboyance and just be completely demonstrating affluence everywhere we go. That's not the essence of it. Being rich there means that we are rich towards God. Being rich there means that we have, again, I say, all sufficiency in all things so that we have all that we need and are bound to every good work. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. The Bible says, and God is able. That same God who released the grace through Jesus Christ so that we can be rich now says, and God is able to make all grace, all grace abound toward you. There is something called all grace. I've taught on that many times. There is something called all grace. The grace to do different things. The grace to perform. The grace to think. The grace to prosper. The grace to be blessed. The grace to be favored. The grace to walk. The grace to talk. The grace to communicate. The grace to write. The grace to, to draw. The grace to, to run. The grace to do everything God has called you to do. The grace to design things. The grace to be artistic. The grace to build things. The grace to operate. The grace to understand things and theories and things that will help you to perform in your area of calling. There is called all grace. The grace to manage the resources that are in your hands very well. He said God is able to make all grace, not some grace, all grace abound towards you so that you can prosper. That takes my definition, so that you can prosper. He said so that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. God wants you and I to be able to have an abundance for every good work. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it what more? Abundantly. Abundant life. Overflow. The thing that I have that I can give to others. We must understand that God is willing. God's will for us is this total prosperity. A prosperity that is of the spirit, of the soul, and of the body. When we read 3 John chapter 2, we always read it in, in, in many times out of context. John was writing to an elder called Gaius. This was a very, very prospered man, but a man whose prosperity was understood and was re re reported by John himself. Look at 3 John 2. 3 John is just one chapter, verse 2 first. He said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. This is a man that was prospering. Look at what the Bible says concerning him in verse 5. How was he demonstrating his prosperity? John said to him, Beloved, I have heard reports that you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. Verse 6. He said, you do them for strangers. He said, who have borne witness of your love before the church. You are a lover of church. You are a lover of God. Your resources were used to do the things of God. He said, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. You always have demonstrated goodness in showing your love for God with your resources. Look at verse 7. He said, so much so because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from Gentiles. They did not have to rely on the Gentiles. You made it possible for them to go and do what God has called them to do. To reach the Gentiles without having to put a demand on the Gentiles. This is true prosperity. So when John prayed for him and said, beloved, I pray that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. He's saying that I am praying more of God's grace to continue to flow into your life because you are demonstrating having all sufficiency in all things at all times and you are abounding unto every good work indeed. This is what biblical prosperity is all about. Friends, we don't have time today. Like I said to you, we can easily take three hours on this and, and still not exhaust it. 
We don't have time today, but if you have time, go and read again the book of Acts. Just read the first seven chapters. In fact, the first six. For the sake of looking at the church when the church got off the ground. Then you will understand what prosperity is. Acts chapter 1, I'll just quickly paraphrase. Acts chapter 1, Jesus promised them, like we read in verse 8, they will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon them and they shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And the Bible says they went and tarried in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost came and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke with new tongues. People thought they were drunk. But Peter came and said they are not drunk. It is a fulfillment of the prophecy and he quoted from Joel, quoted from David, the Psalms, and so on. And he told them that that's what they are witnessing today. And after that message, they say, oh, what must we do to be saved? And we know the rest of the story. 3,000 people got saved and they were added to the church. So the church grew from 12 to 120, suddenly to more than 3,000 people. It became a mighty force just within a short space of time. That now needed a higher degree of management than even Jesus had to deal with. Jesus maximum dealt with 72, not even too close. Mostly he was dealing with the 12, the 12, throughout his three and a half years of ministry. But in Acts chapter 3, they started to worship in temples at a regular hour. And the temples were now the place they were all congregating. After the upper room experience, the Bible says in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were going to the temple at the regular hour of prayer. And that's where the man at Gate Beautiful sat, begging for arms. And Peter said to him, silver and gold I do not have to give you. My paraphrase. For such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Now, we need to understand, Peter saw that the prosperity of the man, what will really give the man total prosperity is not silver and gold. It's not the arms he's begging for. And when Peter said, I do not have, it doesn't mean that he could not get it or he's poor in, in terms of money. But he's trying to say, I want to give you total prosperity. You need a deliverance. I have health. I have divine health. And I want you to also have divine health. And so when he said to him, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the Bible says, the man's ankle bones received strength. And he began to leap and walk and praise God. And the first place he ran into was the temple. The place he could not have gone into before. Why? Because total prosperity is not just about materialism. This is why when you find believers today who come into church and they are so materialistic and all they are thinking is materialism, materialism, it sets up the enemies, the, the spirit of the enemy in their midst and they begin to compete and they begin to try to outdo each other and they begin to do things that, that, that misses out on the point of what total prosperity is all about. Total prosperity has nothing to do with just being materialistic. Yes, it involves having material things and being a blessing with it, but it is not the end of it. It is only a means to also demonstrate the prosperity that God has offered. And so in Acts chapter 4, they became very mighty and they were persecuted and uh, they, 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 the, the people wanted to put them out and they came together, you know the story, and they prayed and God gave them boldness and they carried on. And the Bible says that they now were bringing lands selling lands and bringing the proceeds and laying it down at the feet of the apostles. They were prospered materially as well. They were prospered spiritually. They were prospered in their emotions. They were joyful people. The Bible says they were rejoicing and praising God when they let them go in Acts chapter 4. They were joyful people. So they were prospered in their soul. And they were prospered materially. 
for people to sell houses and sell lands and bring the money in so that the gospel can expand, it means that God put resources in their hands. And so we must understand the balance of it. And the Bible says they laid it at the apostles' feet. Another thing that has caused problems in the body of Christ. Laying it at the apostles' feet did not mean that the apostles should now use it to live extravagant lives and live carelessly with the resources that God has committed into their care for the sake of the church. God is watching. Everyone and all those people who are bringing the name of the Lord to disrepute by taking church funds and living extravagantly and living flamboyantly and making the world look at the church like a bazaar and look at the church like, like a Ponzi scheme. God is watching and God's judgment will be falling on such people because God is, is raising an army of people who will bring to pass the things that God has ordained from the foundation of the earth. Prosperity has nothing to do with somebody taking advantage of funds committed to do the work of the gospel for their personal gains. Don't get me wrong. If a person serves in a church and is part of a church staff and is being paid and it should be paid like any other pay in any organization, they should be paid their salary. I'm not against that. I don't receive one, but I'm just saying I'm not against it by the grace of God. I am only saying that if, if, if a leader or somebody who is in charge of funds for church, like the apostles were, 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 committed, were, were trusted with the resources of the brethren and they used it judiciously to expand the work, then if somebody in our day and age is doing contrary, God himself will judge. Because it's time for us to speak against these things so that the word of prosperity can be understood. What God wants for us is to have a prospered center a prospered place, a prospered church entity that makes sure that one, no member of that organization is living in poverty. That's the first thing. And then secondly, that they are able to do the work of evangelization much easier. When people need to travel, they can be supported. When people need to go and, uh, on missions and they will have to take uh, some time out without, without taking a salary from their regular job, the church can come in and put some funds towards that so that those people can be reached and so on and so forth. We are using equipment today that is allowing us to reach you in your homes. They don't come cheap. They don't come cheap. You have to pay for things. You have to make things work. And you have, to, you have to do quite a lot of things in order to be able to stay. Even as simple as this looks. So the material blessing upon the church is to help the church to do what God has called them to do. And so when we understand it this way, it changes everything. In Acts chapter 5, we know how God frowned at those who were trying to make a mockery in Ananias and Sapphira. You know the story, so I'll leave it at that. And Acts chapter 6, the Hellenists were complaining that their widows were being neglected. And they put in a system to make it work. Because it's not God's intention that anybody who is in the body of Christ suffers. Spiritually, physically, or otherwise. So let us continue to understand that biblical prosperity is God's way, God's tool of helping us to reach the lost. Helping us to see. Everything God puts in your hand at any point in time, especially material resources. Don't hold, that's why I showed my father's car from 1975. Nobody can see that kind of car today now. But that time it was very cool. <laughs> it was very cool. We used to enjoy riding in it. 
It's just like the cars we drive today. In a few years' time, you, won't, you don't want to touch them anymore. <laughs> because that's how quickly material things can go. So holding on to material things and struggling to buy these things and dress one kind is just a waste of our time. I preached for many years, many, many years, when God called me to pulpit ministry as a, as, a, as a young person in my early 20s. I preached for many years before I put my first suit on. Many years. And it didn't mean anything to me. Because what is suit? It's just, it's just a way of dressing to help you to, to, to present a little bit more formally. If you've got it, fine. If you haven't got it, no problem. It doesn't take your voice away. <laughs> and if it is one you have, use it very well. It doesn't matter. These things don't matter. These things don't matter. We have come to an age whereby we are so materialistic and we are losing the plot. We are losing the plot. And so we find that we are not getting the full benefit of biblical prosperity because we are missing out on what is key. And so I want to quickly say to us that we must not be foolish. We must not be like those who have no regard for the things of God. They were a blessed church. The first church was a blessed church. The first church was a sacrificial church. The first church was a kingdom-minded church. All they wanted to do was to expand the gospel. After they appointed those deacons in Acts chapter 6, the Bible says that they were, they were all let go. And we notably remember very well today, Stephen, the one that was martyred, and particularly Philip. Those two were very, very standout among the, the, the Lord. And the Bible continues to tell us how the word expanded. I don't want to go into Paul's section just now, but the, the reality is that if you look at the whole book of Acts, you will see and understand better what this prosperity is. None of them was using it as an occasion to oppress the other. None of them was using the prosperity of the church as an occasion to, to just demonstrate flamboyance. Now, please don't get me wrong. We, we will use good things. I believe good things help us better. If, when I'm driving on the motorway and I put my car on cruise control and it goes for five miles, ten miles without me touching anything, I like it. I enjoy it. I wish you can do more than that. You know, that's why I say I'm waiting for driverless cars. I mean, it's good. It makes life easier. It, it reduces the stress of having to struggle with cars. Especially those of us that have driven for many years, we know. Some of you driving now, you don't know. Those of us that drove 30 years ago will, will tell you how you will finish driving five kilometers and it will look like you have gone to war with some of those cars, no power steering, no handbrake, no, no, no signal, your hand is signal. <laughs> no proper brake. You have to be braking for like, you know, 100 meters before the junction because God help you if you forget, your car will just run. <laughs> it will run through the junction without, without you being able to stop it because the brake is, is that bad. <laughs> we drove those kind of cars. So today when we have these cars that you just touch a little and they respond, we're like, this is, this is almost like heaven. <laughs> So it's not bad to use good things and to keep advancing, but we must always remember the purpose. Every time you have a new gadget, you have a new car, you have a new house, you have a new job, you have a new thing, ask yourself, how can this help me serve God better? How can this help my evangelization effort? How can this help me to be a witness better? Those are the, if you can't see any reasonable answer in those things, forget it. It's of no value. It's of no value. Because the value of a thing is how it helps you. The real value of anything that you have is how it helps you to serve God. How it helps you to serve God. Where well, we read in Luke chapter 12, those of you that have just joined the service, 
One of our pastors, Pastor Sif, has read for us Luke chapter 12 from verse 13 to verse 34. And we all joined him on verse 34. I'll pick a few verses from it today. And it's a story that really intrigues me. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an account that Jesus gave that really intrigues me. And for us to understand what he meant by prosperity. There are two things there that I want to stress that we should not be foolish about. And there are two things that we should be wise about. It is foolishness not to be rich towards God. This is what Jesus said to that man. He said, you fool. You are Today, your soul will be demanded from you because you are not rich towards God. Look at verse 19. Luke chapter 12, verse 19. He said, and I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, fool. This night your soul will be required of you, then whose will those things be which you have provided? Many people amass wealth and amass wealth and amass wealth. And, 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 and with all due respect to all the efforts that mankind is making today, and not trying to have a go at us, and not trying to attribute COVID-19 to the wrath of God in any way, shape, or form. But whether it's the wrath of God or not, COVID-19 has humbled humanity. COVID-19 coronavirus has humbled humanity. A disease that enters palaces without, without warning. A, a, a disease and, and a demon that can go into any place, any public place or any private place. An attack is a humiliation to humanity. Many of our companies have been like this fool. We just build more, build more. We build more planes. We build more airports. We expand them. And we disregard God. We expand them. We build more hotels. Tourism is booming in our country. So we build more. We build more. We pull down and build more. And I know that there is a positive side. It gives jobs. It gives things. And that is not bad. But this utter disregard for God is making us fools. Are we not looking like fools today? We have hundreds of planes on, on airports, terminals today, parked. They can't move. Are we not looking like fools? When are we going to hear in this world that we need God? We need to humble ourselves one more time and go before the Lord and say, Lord, have mercy on us. We have been foolish. We thought we were wise. We thought our grounds were producing more. In my home country, Nigeria, they drill oil and sell millions of barrels per day. And people will take those billions. Instead of using it to take care of local governments and take care of roads and provide water for people, they put it in accounts in Dubai, in Switzerland, in London. And their own people, their own neighbors are dying every day. Fools! Fools! And they keep stealing more and stealing more. Today, the oil is worthless. $16, $16 a barrel at the most. The, the American crude oil became negative last week. I don't know what that means. I've never heard something like that. So maybe when they drill it, they have to give it to people. I don't know what that means. But the, the best of the grade, the Saudi oil, the, 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 the one that we have in Nigeria, the Brent crude, and uh, what's it called? They, all, these, all these special grades of oil, none of them now can sell more than 16 $16 a barrel. Fools! 
Fools. Fools. God does not have to take our soul before we realize how foolish we are. We have churches that we, 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 we dress in flamboyance and we do things and, and all we're doing is just demonstrating and competing with one another. We want to see who buys the next big car, who buys the next big jet, who builds the next big building. And yet, in those same churches, souls of men are perishing. They come Sunday in, Sunday out. They don't know what it means to be born again. Fools we are. Fools. Fools. Fools we are. We have churches where people have been in churches for five years, ten years. They don't know how to lead one other soul to Christ. They don't even know how to pray. Even to pray for five minutes, they cannot. And we say we are not foolish. And yet, they are the most beautiful sanctuaries. They are the most beautiful, elegantly dressed people. May God have mercy. God said to that man, fool, this night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be? There are many politicians, especially again, I'll go back to my home country. There are many politicians who have amassed so much wealth. Today, they are no more. I was having my shower yesterday and I remembered how waking up in the 80s, there were so many military coups in the 80s and the early 90s. So many military coups. And then before you know it, they'll say they put somebody under house arrest. And I remember two presidents, two, two heads of state, our current president and the person that toppled him in 1985, how he put him under house arrest. And today they are both under house arrest with COVID-19. <laughs> because both of them are still alive. COVID-19 has put all of them under house arrest now. <laughs> oh, I laugh, but I'm crying, friends. I'm crying. I'm crying. The problem is not so much of the world. The world will always be the world. The God of this world will always do what he's doing. But the church, the church, until we can take away this courage of people looking at the church as, as money grabblers, because we have been doing fake miracles and we have been doing things that are putting people away instead of bringing them to Christ. Miracles are real. Miracles are from God, but they belong to God. If he's doing them, let us enjoy them. If he's not doing them, let's stop faking them. He can choose to do what he wants to do at any time. He told them, go and wait in Jerusalem and tarry. Why didn't they start to speak in tongues while he was there? Why didn't they start to fake it while he was there? Because there's a time for everything. There's a dispensation for everything. God will move the way he wants to move. Azusa Street Revival was a move of God and it is beautiful and so be it. If God wants to move that way again, so be it. If not, let us stay with his move for now. He is God. It doesn't diminish him. Let's not try to fabricate things in the name of trying to convince people. Of his power. His power is real. His power is real. I've never been to her majesty's office, the palace. I've never had the audience. I pray I will one day. God helping. I mean, it doesn't matter if I don't, but I'm just saying. It's not, it's not a bad thing. But her, her, her sovereignty over this land reigns right in my house here in Warsaw. The land that I sleep on. So what are we talking? God is God. Whether we, 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 whether we want to demonstrate him or not. He said, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Verse 21, he says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself, who is always thinking self-centered and is not rich towards God. We need to understand, friends, that God is not a beggar. God is not a beggar. My prayer, my desire that this church will raise people who will be so blessed at what they do. 
starting from me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> they will be so blessed. We will be so blessed at what we do that we will, we will, we will, we, there will be a paradigm shift with people understanding that these people are not in church life because of money. As a matter of fact, they make money and use it to do church. They don't, they don't come to church to steal money. They make money and use it to do church and plant more churches and build hospitals and build schools and do things that Christians were doing with church funds until they started to become selfish. Until they started to be treasure towards themselves. God is going to help us. It only takes a dream. Joseph said, I have a dream. I dreamt it. It only takes a dream. And when a man has a dream, until God establishes, if it is a godly dream, until God establishes that dream, you can't kill him. You can't. So don't be afraid. Nothing will take your job from you. Nothing will take your business from you. Just stay on the path of this God. Keep serving him with everything that he has given to you. Watch him bless you the more. Watch him. One of the guarantees that I have when I pray for you and your job is the fact that I know that you are using your job to serve God. At least in this place, I am aware that you are giving your tithes, you are giving your offering. So I have more confidence as I do mine. I have more confidence to go before the Lord and say, Lord, these jobs must not be lost because it's doing your work. It's doing your work. It's doing your work. When you are rich towards God, you are secure. When you are rich towards God, your health is secure. Your mind is safe. Your favors are plenty. Your resources are blessed. Let us not be it is foolishness. Let us not be fools in not being rich towards God. Number two, it is foolishness to live in worry. Verse 22. Go straight to verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Do not worry. Do not worry. Worry is an expression of unbelief. It hurts the heart of God. We must not worry. We must be people who show total reliance on God. There is a difference between expectation and worry. I've explained that many times. But in case you don't know, there's a difference between expectation. The expectation of the righteous shall not be cut off. What is expectation? Simply taking God at his word and believing that it will come to pass in faith. And you just believe it and you confess it and you believe it in faith on a daily basis, consistent basis. I know my Redeemer liveth. I'm, 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 I, I'm, uh, in, I'm giving glory uh, to God and I am hoping against hope. All those is fine with God. It's commanded we do. But when we worry, what we are saying to God is that we don't believe that he's able to do. Many people have compromised their faith today because of worry. They are worried. They are worried. So they compromise. They compromise and compromise. And the Bible says, Jesus said, I say to you, do not worry. What you will eat, not about the body, what you will put on, don't worry. This thing called food is not the end of the world. God will always give you food. Don't worry about food. And when I'm saying food, I'm not talking just about physical food. I'm talking about everything material. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't kill yourself over anything. The car you cannot drive today, you will drive tomorrow, my brother, my sister. You will drive if God says it. And even if you don't, what is it? What is it? It's not the end of the world. Like I said to you before, the, the cars we are driving today, very soon, they will not be fanciful, fanciful anymore. Nobody will want to touch them. 
Nobody will want to touch them. I've been using brand new cars since the year 1997, by the grace of God. Brand new. Some of those cars today, if they drive them to my house and they say, and they, they were brought brand new. But if they drive them to my house today and they say, take, I will run away and say, please, I don't want to see this one. <laughs> but those days, man, I felt cool moving around town with those cool cars. <laughs> Those things are worthless. They are earthly. We will use them, but they are not the end. Don't worry. Don't worry. Enjoy whatever you have. Enjoy your one bedroom, your two bedroom, your three bedroom. Enjoy your five bedroom, your six bedroom. As long as you have a place that is comfortable, is warm, keep enjoying it. When God wants to move you on, he will move you on. It will cost him absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing to move you on. In verse 23, he said to them, Life is more than those things. Life is more than food. There are people begging for life today in our hospitals. I'm not making a mockery of them. Very sad. They're begging to breathe. They're begging to breathe. Some of them have six figures in their bank accounts, I can assure you. Some have four, five. Some maybe not, but some will have that. Some may even have seven figures in their bank account. Life is more than food. Life is more than food. The body that God gave you that you, can, that you can function with, that holds you together, you can walk with, is more than clothing. Clothing is just a covering. What is the essence of, of a, a 2,000 pound suit that is, that is covering a scabied skin? A skin that is full of all kinds of of, of, of disease of what uses it life is more than food the body more than clothing let us be rich towards God this simply means let's have a heart that is always willing to serve God let us not be let us not let us not refuse to be born again without being born again no matter who you are no matter how philanthropic you are no matter how much you give if you are not born again you are not rich towards God you may be given to all the developing countries of this world if you don't accept the only one gift, Jesus Christ, that was given to mankind. If you cannot accept him as Lord and Savior, you are a fool. You are not rich towards God. I don't care. Sad to see even believers say, oh, what about those people? That one is not born again. He's a billionaire. He's giving that. That one is not born again. Who told you? Did you not read in your Bible that until I went to, their, until they, I went to the temple and I understood their heir, Psalm 71, and I understood their heir, and I now saw that, oh, there is an end to even that kind of life that looks all flamboyant. I am not saying good works are not good, but any good work that does not first start with an acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is not good work. It is not enduring work. It is foolish work. And anyone who names the name of the Lord and is born again and has resources and is refusing to do those good works is also not rich towards God. It's a fool. So we get the balance. We need to understand the holistic dimension of, pro of prosperity. There are people who are dependent on you and I. There are people who will see God because of the actions of you and I. And then you see believers going all over the place not even understanding what God has called us to do. We need to be kingdom minded so that we can be rich towards God. Number two, it is foolishness 
Okay, I've talked about living in worry. It is foolishness also to live in worry. It is foolishness also to live in worry. But it is wisdom. Let's go straight to verse 31. It is wisdom to keep seeking first the kingdom of God. He said, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. It is wisdom. I can tell you in my own little life, my little experience of life so far, I can tell you, God has always rushed at my needs as I've been serving by the grace of God, especially in the last 30 years. I just need to see that this is the next thing I need to do. And as I keep serving, God opens the door. God opens the door. Many things that people struggle for, I am saying this very humbly. Many things that people struggle for, I don't struggle for it. I don't. I work hard. I work hard. I don't, I don't joke with hard work. But I know that my hard work cannot produce the degree of certain things that I see in my life. I know it. I know it. Clearly, the work of the ministry is cannot, there's no amount of hard work I can put into this to have been going like this for seven, almost seven years. I know it's the favor of God, the hand of God, supernatural inflow of his grace in diverse ways. The way he has been keeping all of you, the way he has been keeping all your children. Some of the children we dedicated here five years ago, six years ago, looking at us today, talking back at us and, and, and serving alongside us in many ways. I know. That cannot be done by a human being. It is the favor of God. It's the favor of God. As we seek first this kingdom, God adds this peace to us. He adds these blessings to us. Verse 32. He said, do not fear a little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is why he came. It is his pleasure to give you the kingdom. And may God continue to give you the kingdom as you seek it in the name of Jesus. So it is wisdom to keep seeking first the kingdom of God. It is also wisdom to be heavenly conscious. Let us not live as if everything ends here. Jesus said, I am going. In my father's house are many mansions, John chapter 14. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would not have told you. No matter how beautiful your house is in this life. And I, I pray we all have beautiful houses by the grace of God. No matter how beautiful it is, it is nothing compared to the mansion that has been prepared for you and I. Keep your mind on that. The more you keep your mind on that, the more you, you see that earthly things don't give you gripes anymore. People's jiggery-pokery, as they say, pulling here and there, strive, those things. You will live above it because you, you are coming from a higher order. Hey, you need to see things in perspective. When I go to a country, if I travel to a country, and uh, I, I, it's all chaos there, and everything is chaos, 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 chaos. And reasonably, this country is much more, you know, sensible and much more decent in, in presentation. You know, my mind is always on my out flight, what do you call it, return flight. Every day I spend in that such a country, I just be praying, Lord, let Thursday come. Let Thursday come. Let, the moment I get to the airport, I breathe, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm going back to, I'm going back to sense. <laughs> I'm going back to sense. This is how Christians should live. Knowing fully well that it doesn't all end here. We're going back to be with him. And we will occupy our mansions. Look at what he said in verse 33. He says, sell what you have. Sell what you have. Give arms. Provide for yourself money bags. This is to say, don't hold on to things. Don't let things govern your life. He said, these things, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. He said, provide for yourself money bags which do not grow old, which is a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. 
It is good to have investments, it's good to have savings, it's good to invest in things that will endure and we can pass on to generations to come. Beautiful thing to do, commanded to do by God. But let us not kill ourselves trying to make those investments and yet we have no heavenly investment. We must understand that the heavenly investment is much more. Many people have invested things in this life only to lose it at the last minute. You will not be like that in Jesus' name. Keep having your kingdom-minded focus. Verse 34 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you have treasure in heaven, your heart will always be towards the kingdom of God. It will always be towards heaven. You will find it less and less. You will find uh, 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 things like uh, uh, um, uh, uh, being, being covetous. That's the word I'm looking for. Being covetous. Covetousness will mean nothing to you. You will not be seeing people's things, people's cars, people's wives, people's houses, people's children, people's belongings, people's clothes, other people's things. You will not be seeing it and be, and be wishing for it so, so disastrously. It's good to see a good thing and, and admire it. That's no problem. But if you are, your, 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 your heart is not in heaven, your, your, your treasure, everything is here on earth, it is not wise. It is not wise. You and I must understand that to enjoy this true prosperity, we must be kingdom-minded. The Bible says, set your heart on things above in Colossians chapter 3. Set your heart on things above, not on things of the earth. I want to conclude this by saying true kingdom prosperity is much more about what we are able to give, what, much more about what we are able to do, much more than what we receive. When God called Abraham, he called him and ultimately his statement to him was that he would be a blessing. Genesis chapter 12 verse 2. He said, I will make you a great nation. Again, that talks about a pure person. That talks about a holy person. Don't forget we say we're a holy nation. He said, I will bless you. I will bless you. That is to say, I will empower you. I will empower you. The blessing of God is an empowerment of God. I will bless you. He said, I will make your name great. You will fulfill purpose. You will fulfill purpose. He said, and you shall be a blessing. That is to say, you will be prospered to be a blessing to others. We all claim Abraham's blessings. The covenant on Abraham is our covenant. The now renewed in Christ. It is, the, it is what we enjoy, now renewed in Christ. Make of us a great nation because he has called us out as the ecclesia. He will bless us because he has empowered us by the Holy Spirit. He will make our name great because we are all called to fulfill purpose in this life. And we shall be blessing because we are called to prosper. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7 now tells us therefore, and let us be cheerful. Let us be cheerful. Let us give. Let us give as we propose, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. Give of your spiritual life cheerfully. Give of your soul. Give of your joy cheerfully. Give of your material well-being cheerfully. 
Give cheerfully. Enjoy giving. Enjoy giving to the Lord. Enjoy giving to your parents. Enjoy giving to your spouses. Enjoy giving to your children. Enjoy giving to those who are in need, the needy. Enjoy giving. Enjoy giving. Don't, don't, don't detest giving. Enjoy giving. Let giving be a lifestyle. Because he has called you, blessed you, so that you can be a blessing. And may God continue to help us in the name of Jesus. We must be generous with evangelism. We must be generous with exhortation. We must be general with, generous with material gifts. We must be generous. This is why God called us. And by the grace of God, when we do this, we will enjoy true kingdom prosperity that will give us the restful increase. That man did not have restful increase. He had an unrestful ending. He said, I will, I will pull down my balance. God said, you are full today. You are ending it. But when you don't pull down your balance, and you keep giving out, and you keep giving out, and you keep giving out, especially to the things of God, making sure that his, his name is being glorified in the land, then he continues to increase you. The Bible says there is one that scatters and yet he increases. But there is one that holds more than his meat. And yet he tends to poverty. This is not a popular message with all that is going on. Because people's jobs are threatened. People's livelihoods are threatened. But you know the secret? Keep your heart for the kingdom. Whatever God puts in your hand, use it judiciously. But always remember, Lord, with this resource in my hand, you are the one that gives bread to the eater and seed to the sower. I sow this. Another thing that has been mis mis misappropriated in the body of Christ. People use sowing to gather money from people. And they say, sow it, sow it. And then they just use whatever is there and go and live. Please, I, th these things, we must say them. I don't like talking about them, but this is the reality. We must keep talking about them. Nobody is talking about that kind of thing. Nobody here is talking about that kind of thing. We are talking about a spiritual engagement with doing the will of God at all times. Sowing cheerfully because God loves it. You want to enjoy the love of God? Keep giving cheerfully to the things of God and to the things he has commanded us. And I know your life will never remain the same in Jesus' name. I'd like to stop here. I've taken a little bit more than my time, but I want to bless the communion elements right now. I want to believe God that as you are taking this communion, there will be a reawakening on your inside. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He said that this is the one, 8, 7. He said this is the one, go back to the very first verse there. He said, Christ, for you know, thank you very much, 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Bring out your emblems. God is going to bless them where you are, place them as you serve it with your fam family. God is going to make sure that what he has done through the blood of Jesus you are partaking and through the body and through the blood that you are partaking today, God is going to ensure that you will be a rich person, rich towards God, rich spiritually, rich in your soul, rich materially, with a heart that seeks to serve God, not with a heart that just wants to self-aggrandize. God is going to do it in your life today. This is what the communion is for today, and by the grace of God, we shall be blessed in it. Father, we bless these emblems in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the privilege of partaking on a weekly basis. The Bible says your servants went from house to house and they broke bread. 
and great joy and peace they had. Let it be our portion that as we partake, we will continue to protect our lives, protect our territories from the scourge of the hour. And Lord God Almighty, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our lives will be ratified. Every one of us stretching out in areas of true prosperity to the glory of God in Jesus' mighty name.